So Jesus asked that you would help this familiar story to live in us again this Easter morning. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your power that brought you again from the dead. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, happy Easter to all of you. It's great to see you all and have you all with us. Um, One of our pastors here, Dana, who's right there, uh, told several of us uh, not too long ago about a time that after her father had died, some mail came to his house summoning him to jury duty, but he died. So Dana wrote them back and said, please remove his name from the list because he's dead. She got a form letter back that said, we're sorry, this is not an acceptable excuse. (laughs) Dana said, I'm I'm sorry, but it's the best one I've got. Like, your tax dollars working hard for you. As hard as it was for them to believe that someone was dead, it is even harder to believe that someone has been raised from the dead, isn't it? Which is why I'm betting that the question in many of our minds, uh, whether conscious or unconscious, is how can I believe in Easter? Now, for some of you, that's because you're just not into the whole God-Jesus-Church thing. You've just been dragged here this morning by someone. Ah, nervous chuckles, so it's true, right? The reason I know that is because people will sometimes say to me, I'm bringing so-and-so to church on Easter, which I think means, so don't screw it up, Pastor. (laughs) But for others of you, maybe you would say that you believe in Jesus, but find it really hard to trust deep in your heart that Jesus really is God and that he really was raised from the dead. Not just because it's a whopper of a miracle, but maybe more personally, because your marriage is in trouble or you're facing some kind of health or financial crisis or you've lost a loved one and you think in the middle of all of that, how can I believe in Easter? And I know you think that because I sometimes have those thoughts as well. But this is an important question to resolve because the promise of Easter is that Jesus is so alive that even when he died, he turned death back into life again. And that he can do that in our lives as well, not just life after we die, but bring us a brand new way of living right here, right now. Easter shows that God's project is to make all things new. So what needs to be made new in your life? Maybe maybe it's a sense you're just kind of bored and restless and want something bigger Maybe it's a marriage problem, health issue, whatever it is. Easter says that Jesus is stronger. But you know what? If you doubt that, you are in good company. After Jesus was raised from the dead, he showed himself to over 500 people over the course of 40 years. And then he assembled his disciples. And the text says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. What? Like, I mean, here they are staring at the risen Jesus, the mother of all miracles, and they still doubt. And by the way, this just shows that this is, the Bible is historically accurate, because if you were making this up, you would, no way would you put that verse in there. But you've got to wonder, I mean, they're looking at the risen Jesus, why are they doubting? Well, probably because back then, death was just as permanent as it is today. You know, it's not as though folks were popping up out of the grave like prairie dogs back then. You know, you know you've seen one resurrection, you've seen them all, right? So they're, they're astonished, they have a, a hard time believing it. But I'm glad that the disciples doubted, because you know what? That tells me that doubts are not the opposite of faith. Doubts are a part of faith. In part, because what Jesus offers is a relationship, not a religion. You know, Jesus does not say, do you have sure and intellectual, do you give intellectual assent to my existence? That's not the question he asks. The question he asks is, will you follow me, be in a relationship with me? And all relationships involve at least at some level some margin of doubt. 
So, for instance, I have faith that my wife loves me. I've got evidence that she does love me. But you know what? It's possible that she doesn't. It's possible she's stashing money away to leave me for a tennis pro named Skipper. You know, I'm sure he's real good looking and flowing blonde locks and all of that stuff. You know, that's possible. Or maybe she just has some kind of a weird thing for balding pastors. There have been weirder obsessions. But based on the evidence I have, I believe, I trust that she loves me. And so I'm willing to step across that tiny bit of doubt and trust her, be in relationship with her. You see, biblically speaking, doubt is not the opposite of faith. Fear is the opposite of faith. An inability to trust Jesus to follow him. But Easter shows us that Jesus comes to doubters like you and like me, and he convinces us. And he does that in a couple of ways. And the first is this. He shows us who he really is. You know, sometimes when people will say to me, yeah, I don't believe in Jesus, I'll ask the question, tell me about the Jesus that you don't believe in. Is it the judgmental, angry Jesus? Is it the boring Jesus who just wants to keep us from having fun? Is it, is it the consumer Christian Jesus whose job it is just to make us happy and comfortable? Because I don't believe in those Jesus either, or Jesuses or whatever it would be. I don't know what it would be. I believe in the God whose passionate love drove him to become one of us. And while he was here, he got mad at the people he was supposed to be nice to, like religious leaders. And he showed grace to the people he was supposed to be mad at, like tax collectors and prostitutes and thieves. I believe in the Jesus who makes all things new. See, in the Bible, God promises that he will remake us and remake this earth brand new. And Easter is the first example that he has begun that process of making all things new. That's why it happens on the first day of the week. Just like God began creating back in Genesis on the first day of the week, at Jesus' resurrection, he begins his process of recreation. And not even death is going to stop it. We will be raised to new life, not as disembodied spirits floating around on clouds, but in a real body that will never know death, pain, or suffering again. And heaven isn't clouds and harps and all that Bugs Bunny stuff you see in the cartoons. Heaven is this earth remade without all of the problems. Now, that's not going to be complete until Jesus comes back, but Jesus' resurrection is like a preview of coming attractions, a signal that God has begun the process of making all things new. See, I believe in the radical rebel Jesus who did not come to make us nice, but who came to make us new, who didn't come to make us safe, but came to make us dangerous to the devil, didn't come to make us comfortable, but to make us brave. Recently heard a story about a woman named Jane in Kenya, and she was abused as a child and fled, but then ended up having to work as a prostitute just to, just to survive. And all she wanted was a modest two-room house where she and her children could live in dignity. Well, along the way, she met a few Christians who worked for a nonprofit organization, and they helped her dream up a business idea. Everyone around her was selling things like mangoes, bananas. She wanted to differentiate herself from that. And one day she saw a local butcher who would chop the heads off of chickens, throw them in a pile as well as all their innards in this big stack of chicken heads and chicken innards. So she went to the butcher and she said, could I have those? He said, by all means, you know, nothing I'm doing with them. Then she got a micro loan to buy pans. And she cooked up bunches of potatoes and onions along with the chicken innards for extra protein and created this nutritious stew. I trust none of you are going to be eating this today at Easter brunch, right? So she makes up this stew, and this would definitely not work in our culture, but it it worked for her. She then stuffed the chicken nicks with this stew and then sewed them up and sold them as a meal you could eat from the beak. Ew. You know, you've heard of Pez dispensers? (laughs) Same idea, right? And, And they're selling like hotcakes. 
Right? Tastes like chicken, but selling like hotcakes. <laughs> now she's got three employees, and she was able to get a modest two-room house. And when she first stepped across the door of that house, she fell on her knees and said, Thank you, God. How does a woman like me get to live in a house like this? From nothing, you have brought something. That's the Jesus I believe in. He makes all things new. Even chicken innards, I guess. So if you doubt, make sure you're doubting at least the real Jesus. What Jesus are you doubting? Make sure it's at least the real Jesus. Second way that Jesus convinces us is he says, test me, try me empirically. He says to his doubting disciples, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. In other words, carry my love to everyone. And this mission that he gives them, it kind of doesn't make sense given who they are, right? To start off with, they're doubters. But more than that, even their number is off. There are 11 of them, right? There used to be 12 of them, which was this perfect symbol of the 12 tribes of Israel. But then Judas killed himself. The scholar Dale Bruner says the number 11 limps. It's not perfect like 12. The people Jesus sends into the world are 11-ish, imperfect, fallible. But Jesus doesn't try to beef up their numbers. He doesn't try to talk them out of their doubts. He just gives them a mission. That is, he didn't get rid of their doubts to send them out. He sent them out to get rid of their doubts. Because what he's saying is, as you follow me, as you are part of my rescue mission to the world, as you let me into your life, you'll see. You'll see. You'll see just how life-changingly real I really am. Now, all that said, I think there are some great historical, intellectual, empirical reasons to believe in Easter, reasons that convinced a former atheist like me that Jesus really was God, is God in the flesh, and that he really was raised from the dead. And I've listed some of those reasons in the bulletin. I'd invite you to take that home, read over some of those reasons. You know, not now, because I'm still preaching, and that would be distracting to me. But, you know, at home, and then maybe read some of those books that I've listed there as well. Because in all my reading, one of the things I've discovered is that science and the Bible always agree in a place called reality. And if they don't agree, you've either got kind of goofy science or wacky Christians. And as it turns out, there's no shortage of either of those, is there? But you know what? All the intellectual arguments in the world is not what really changed my life. It's not what really changes lives at all. It's as we test Jesus with our lives and follow him that we see how real he really is. So let me challenge you with this. If you find yourself thinking, for whatever reason, how can I believe in Easter? Then between now and Christmas, try Jesus out. Test him. Pray to the God you don't believe in and ask for faith. What what do you have to lose? Read some of the Bible. Go to a church that talks about Jesus and then give him three things. Okay? First, give him some of your time to be part of his rescue mission. And a church can help you figure out how to do that. You know, in the story we read, Jesus gives his disciples a mission. He says, spread my love to the whole world. Because as we participate in the making new of all things with Jesus, our lives get bigger and more dynamic and more interesting. See, Jesus does not just give us life after death. He gives us life after birth as well. Researcher named Brene Brown says that the three deepest needs of a human being are to be loved, to be long, and to be brave. Now, those first two kind of make sense, right? But that third one, to be brave, kind of surprises you. But I think she's right. Deep in us is a need to be brave, to live a more adventurous, bigger life. Jane, the woman I told you about in Kenya, Jesus gave her a bigger life. He made her brave and expanded her world. But also the Christians who helped her. Think of the ride they got. They got to see how Jesus makes all things new, which made their lives bigger and more interesting. Give him some of your time to be part of his rescue mission. Second, give him your failures. 
Because we've all got failures, and those failures can just kind of linger with us, can't they? Kind of haunt us. I have a friend named Christy who lives in the Bay Area, and she volunteered to chaperone her fourth-grade daughter's class field trip to a wetland preserve. And the directors of this wetland preserve were as serious as a heart attack about being eco-friendly. She had to go to three separate meetings on how to have litterless lunches and all this kind of thing. Well, while she's on the field trip, she got a call on her cell phone from a guy at work. And she'd already, you know, ignored the call three times, so she had to take it. So as she's talking as quietly as she can on her cell phone, there's this bee buzzing around her, and she swats at it as she does, hits her cell phone, it flies out of her hand, up over the railing of the bridge they were on, and down into the wetlands. Her first thought was, well, nobody knows whose cell phone it is. I'll just leave it there. But then the guy on the other end of the line starts going, Christy, really loudly. Christy, Christy, is that you? Can I, I, we got a bad connection. Are you there? And then some kid says, teacher, that lady just threw her cell phone into the wetlands. So everyone looks at her and then looked at her cell phone with its lithium battery just lying there in the water, right? And wetlands director had to tiptoe out and get it. It's very embarrassing, you know, retrieve the cell phone, all of that. Well, two years later, she was at her daughter's sixth grade graduation. And each kid got to talk about their favorite part of elementary school. (laughs) Twenty kids said their favorite part was when that lady threw her cell phone into the wetlands. And to this day, when folks go to that wetland preserve, the director starts the tour by saying, put your phones in your pocket. We once had a lady throw her cell phone into the wetlands. She's like infamous all over the Bay Area, wetland destroyer lady. Our failures can haunt us, just linger with us. But you know what Jesus does with failures? He forgives them, and he brings new life out of them. One of my favorite theologians named Bono, said, seriously, man, that guy's got some great theology. He said in an interview, at the center of all religions is karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you. And yet along comes Jesus with this idea called grace. To upend all of that as you reap, so shall you sow stuff. Love interrupts the consequences of our actions, which in my case is very good because I've done a lot of stupid stuff, and if karma was going to be my judge, I'd be in big trouble. He actually uses a different phrase, but I can't quote it in church. He goes on and says, I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross. I'm holding on to his grace. That's Bono. See, Jesus does not hold our failures over us. He forgives us and then brings new life out of them. And I've seen this happen in dozens and dozens, hundreds of people's lives, including mine. Family dynamics restored and healed. Marriages transformed in spite of all kinds of past hurt. Bad decisions redeemed. Give him some of your time. Give him your failures. And then finally, Give him your impossible. That relationship, health problem, that fear, that thing that seems impossible because Easter says that Jesus is stronger. He took his crucifixion, a very bad thing, and extracted good out of it by using it to pay the price for our sins and conquer death by rising from the grave. The message of Easter, the message of Jesus found in no other religion is that God can take even the worst things and extract good out of them. He never wastes a wound. That's the promise of Easter. One of our modern worship leaders, Kyle, guy over here on the piano today, Kyle uh, told me a story about how his sister used to be a heroin addict. And at one point, she, she'd run away from home, and at one point, she broke into her parents' house, stole a bunch of stuff, including her grandmother's wedding ring, sold it all in order to buy drugs. And at that point, Kyle said, my sister is dead to me. He wanted nothing to do with her. Well, months later, Kyle was leading worship in another church, and 
one night he got there and said, guys, instead of music, today we're just going to pray, okay? We're just going to pray. And what you got to understand is this church had kind of a Pentecostal flavor to it. So if someone said, let's pray, it's kind of a place where folks don't shut up praying for hours, right? They just go on and on. But this night, for some reason, nothing, nothing. No one prayed anything. And Kyle's like, come on, man. you got to have something to pray about. Don't you have any prayer requests? And just, you know, nothing. And Kyle's just like, anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Anyone? You know, come on. And then Kyle thought about his sister, who he had not thought about in ages. And he thought, "Uh uh-uh, no way. I am not praying for her. Uh Uh-uh, no way, no how. And again, it was actually a little stronger than that, but I can't quote Kyle either, just like I can't quote Bono. But that thought would not go away. So finally, he told the group about his sister, and they were stunned. They'd known him a long time, but they they just didn't, had had no idea that that was going on in his life. So they prayed for her that night for a long time about protection for her, all kinds of things. Very next morning, Kyle got a call from his sister, and they had not spoken in forever. And she said, Kyle, last night I died. And he said, what do you mean? Well, it turned out she was with a group of people, and she took more heroin than a human body can stand, had a massive overdose, started freaking out, and finally collapsed. And there were a couple of people there who were not doing drugs. They were sober, and they couldn't find a pulse. There was no breathing. So they freaked out, and everyone just left. But somehow, the next day, she woke up, And when she found out what had happened, it really terrified her, so she called Kyle. And she said, Kyle, I just felt like I was supposed to call you today, even though it's been forever since we talked. Kyle said, well, about what time did all of this happen? And she said, 7.30, which, as it turned out, was the exact same time that he and his friends were praying for her very much against Kyle's will. And that began a process in her of getting sober, and she's been sober now for three years. She's married. Things are going well. Family relationships are healing and mending. Jesus did not hold her failures against her. He forgave her and instead extracted new life, something good out of it. And and she would say, and Kyle would say, that because Jesus stepped into their impossible, he is making all things new. Now I can deconstruct that story in a heartbeat. Was she really dead or did it seem that way? Well, you know, at bare minimum, she OD'd. Well, maybe the timing of the prayer and all that, maybe that was just a coincidence. Yeah, it could have been just a coincidence, but given that Kyle hadn't thought about her for a long time, it's kind of a big coincidence. But I know, I know the stories you may be, or the questions you may be asking about that story. But here's the thing. There's a lot of things you can do with a story like that. A lot of things you can do with the story of Jesus. And one of them is to believe it. Because when we do, our lives get bigger, more adventurous. We get made new until you don't find yourself anymore saying, how can I believe in Easter? Instead, you say, given all that I've seen, how can I not? Last thing Jesus says to his disciples is, look, I am with you to the very end of the age. Look. What do you think he wanted them to look at? I think it was his hands with the nail prints as proof of his love. He's saying, what more proof do you need? I've gone through suffering, shame, failure, even death, and I've conquered it all, and I can conquer it in your life as well. I am with you when you win. I am with you when you lose. I am with you in your joy. I am with you in your pain. I am with you in life, and even in death, even there, I will be with you. I mentioned earlier that 11 disciples is kind of an imperfect, non-symbolic number, And maybe today, because of a marriage or health or financial issue, or maybe just because you're bored and want a bigger life, maybe for some reason today you feel 11-ish. But you know what? With Jesus, 11-ish 
is never a problem. And I think this is a spiritual truth that we here in Seattle especially can grasp. Because the Seahawks won the Super Bowl this year because they've got a great team. But we also have a secret weapon, don't we? Right? We even set a world record for noise in our stadium. I was there that night. It was cool. It caused a small earthquake. That's a lot of power. See, 11-ish is not a problem because there is always a 12th man with us and his name is Jesus. Right? And he is stronger than anything we face. Stronger than our failures. Stronger than our fears. Stronger than our past. Stronger than our present. Stronger than job problems or financial worries or relational breakdown. And he turns sadness into smiling, despair into dancing, bored to brave, bland to big, fearful to ferocious. And you have nothing to fear because you have nothing to lose. And there's nothing that can hold you back, nothing that can hold you down, nothing you can't get over, nothing you can't get around. And not even death will stop you because the grave can't hold you because our Redeemer lives. Not as a myth, not as a story, not as a nice idea, but he lives in fact, he lives in history, he lives in our lives, he is risen, he is risen indeed. Believe it or not, he is real, and he is really for you. So Jesus, help us to believe that even in the middle of our doubts. Meet us, change us, make us new, Jesus, and we We'll be grateful people. We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen.